You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. Do my prejudices influence communication of the gospel? What is my position as a Christian on mission? Is Christianity compatible with other religious expression? Is evangelism simply white colonization? Do all expressions of faith lead to the same ultimate outcome? We can boldly face the relativism that is influencing missions and overtaking the clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us as we discuss complex issues facing the local church as it serves Christ in obedience to the Great Commission. This is Mission of the Nations with host Grant Fawcett. Hi guys, welcome back to Mission of the Nations. This particular episode uh, features the last seminar from the Arrowhead Circle Summit last October uh, with uh, Art Wanach, and he shares with us some of his thoughts on contextualization and syncretism and what that means in relationship to the Christian faith. And we trust that this will be encouraging to you uh, and uplifting for you. And we're hopeful in the near future to be able to record some new podcast episodes that we'll be able to share with you um, in the coming weeks. So God bless. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just need a nap after that lunch. <laughs> that turkey dinner thing sounded horrible right now. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, thank you, Grant. Uh, my wife, my wife and I, uh, my wife is Hungarian English, I'm a whole bunch of other things. More than 50% some kind of native. Korean, Mohawk, and something else. Uh, we're originally from Northern Alberta, I'm originally from Northern Alberta, she's originally from Toronto. So we now live in Toronto uh, since 1984. We have uh, seven children, uh, five biological boys, those were our biological children, then we adopted two girls. So our oldest daughter is uh, three months older than our third son. And then uh, he was just talking about Afifa. She came to live with us when she was 17. And uh, yesterday, about two weeks ago, as of yesterday, she asked us if she could call us mom and dad. So now we say we have seven children. But she's only about this tall, so it's really six and a half. But our children are, uh, we're very a very, very close-knit family, and I think that comes from having dinner every night together. Sometimes it's as late as 10.30, but we, we do. Uh, the problem with our children is, or our family, if there's a problem, is they're all over the world. So we have children in several different countries. We have uh, two in Canada right now, uh, both of whom will probably be in the States before the end of the year. So, it is what it is. Let's get into this. Uh, syncretism. I, I, I mean, what those guys shared with you this morning, I, I have nothing to follow up with. I have no more to add. So I can talk more about my family. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to start the timer. Uh, that went by too fast. That wasn't what I meant to do. Okay, so I've got a timer going. I was told I have 45 to 60 minutes. Does anybody have to be out of here in 60 minutes? Because I don't really watch the clock. Uh, anyway, let's get going. Syncretism. Syncretism, uh, we'll get into a little bit of an explanation into that. I do want to talk a little bit about animism. Uh, 
native spirituality, native customs, native things. That was kind of, I mean, it wasn't directly, he didn't tell me anything. But I associated that with what I, what I thought he wanted me to do here. And then I, I prepared this presentation. And then, like he said, God laid something on my heart. So three days ago, I changed it. So you're going to get, this is my first run through. Because <coughs> I was over there changing it still. Okay, so there are two, two positions. There's only uh, two identities in the world. And it's you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. And then what does it say? This isn't like a church, you guys. This is a, I talk, you talk back. I ask you questions. What else does it say? But if not. But if not. Where does that come from? What does it mean? Can I walk around or do I have to stay here? Whoever's... Whatever makes you comfortable. Has anybody heard of the miracle of Dunkirk? If you have, put your hand up. The miracle of Dunkirk. Yeah, this was in... Uh, May to June, May 26th to June 4th, 1940, there were some 338,000 uh, British Expeditionary Forces and other Allied troops uh, stuck in France. And the Germans had surrounded them and were putting, pushing them into the English Channel. And they were coming. And for some reason, the Germans stopped. And so you have these about 400,000 soldiers there and there was no way for the the British to rescue them and the message that the commander of the British forces sent back was a three-word message but if not and the king in those days who was the king of England then George George he did a weekly radio show and he talked about that and what was happening in France and he told the country, the message. But if not, does anybody know what resulted from that? They sent a lot of private ships over to bring them back. Half right. Half right. Yeah. The whole country got galvanized and they sent the commercial ships, the private ships. Anybody, if you had a rowboat, you went. And it wasn't they got sent, they went. And they went and they rescued all of, like, all of, except I think, 20,000 troops. And I think we would have probably lost the Second World War had they not done that. And the whole country got up and went and did something because of this story. Does anybody know where that comes from? Should I write this chapter? Yes. But if not. And so that's the indictment of us in our society today is uh, not too many people answered that question. But the thing is, in England in those days, everybody understood what that meant. And Nebuchadnezzar built this statue and said, you all bow down to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, O king, live forever, but we can't, we can't bow down to that. We serve this God. And we know you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace. And he's able to save us. But if not, we still won't bow down to you. And you guys know the rest of the story. And that's all it took in those days. I would venture to guess if the commander sent this today, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. But anyway, all this to say, this is roughly 
the condition of our Christian uh, society, if you will, in North America. England is worse than us, by the way, and has been for, for several years. So they've departed. They've gone along a lot further away from the Bible than we have. So the Holy Bible is the history book of the universe. It's an eyewitness account told to us by the one who created, the one who built it. I'll try not to move, but if you want to, some of you are having trouble seeing that, go over there. There's lots of room over there because nobody wants to look at me. So anyway, so we have God and we have Satan. And I won't I assume you know the story of how Satan fell. And there's this war between those two. Apart from the knowledge of this war, it's impossible to understand what life is all about. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? Men develop stories around these questions because they don't have God. But we have this need to worship within us. And so we build something based out of the surroundings, what we understand, what we know. But the Bible does answer all of these questions from eternity past to present to the future. And I actually do have a, a, a handout here, which we'll look at at the end of the thing. But before we get into this, let's uh, bow down or bow our heads and pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the salvation we enjoy through the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit as our teacher, and we ask that you would open our hearts tonight so that we could have a clear thinking on the issue that have been discussed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we have the, the Bible, the history book of the world, and we look at that. We understand that Adam and Eve fell, so originally God walked and talked with Adam and Eve here on earth, and then gave them some rules and regulations so that they had a choice as to whether they wanted to worship God, be God's friend, etc. And they did what? They chose not to. They chose to do the experiment. They listened to uh, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, whichever. Can I use those interchangeably? Is that okay? And then, and so they ate the fruit. What kind of fruit was it? says fruit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say an apple, but the Bible doesn't say that. Anyway, so when they, when they uh, ate from the, the tree of which they were not supposed to, then they became imperfect and they had a, a blemish on them and God couldn't associate with imperfection. And so he separated himself from them. And their, their membership from the kingdom of light got transferred into the kingdom of darkness into the world that we live in today. And then all of us are descended from those two original people, Adam and Eve. And so we were all born in this kingdom. People, I've read some materials that talk about, or maybe you've heard this idiom about people selling their souls to the devil. Have you heard that? Uh, I think it used to be more prominent before. Uh, but anyway, that type of thing. If you're born here, you're here. And there's nothing to sell. Syncretism. Syncretism happens when someone simply adds what they think the Bible says to what they 
already believed. So whatever culture I, and beliefs I had, and then the missionary comes in with the Bible message, so this is our number two here, what we do is we put them together, and we come up with basically a third religion. And so the new belief, and it's a mixing of these, uh, the original culture with the new culture. We do it all the time, every day, all of us. Some parts of, of what we do. I'm sorry, there's going to be a lot of reading as we go through this. I do have the odd Bible verse thrown in there. So what does syncretism look like? So here's an example. Take Lynn, for example. Lynn believes in the Bible. A college friend explained the gospel to her, and Lynn accepted what her friend shared. Every day she reads a portion of scripture. Every week she not only attends the religious services in which she was raised, but also a new church <coughs> with which she has connected. She also tries <clears throat> at every opportunity to be good, to do good, and to have good thoughts. She believes that God will find her acceptable and she can get to heaven. Because of these good works, she believes that good will come back to her if she does more good. After all, <clears throat> will she not reap after death what she has sown in this lifetime? For now, she also relies on horoscopes and foresees the future to, to help foresee the future and to help guide her decision making. How does that sound? Not unusual, fairly typical. The description of Lynn is one of syncretism. She has mixed non-biblical ideas with scripture, resulting in a completely different belief system. People like Lynn are very common in today's world. They simply layer on bits of biblical truth into their underlying belief system. There is no true understanding of the gospel message. And, and I think if you go away today with anything, it would be this last line, which I think is common in the majority of our churches, is the people who sit in the pews don't really have a true understanding of the gospel message. And hopefully I'll build a case for that as we go through. Syncretism creates at least two serious problems. Number one, religious syncretism perpetrates a false, false gospel. When error is mixed with the truth of God's word, it produces something completely foreign to the scriptures, people may end up creating an entirely different message that is not the gospel. Number two, religious syncretism is very deceptive. When people have mixed up the Bible's message with other beliefs, they may incorrectly believe that they are in a right relationship with God, like Lynn did, for example. This misunderstanding may result in apathetic or frustrated churchgoers because they haven't experienced the reality of the truth of the gospel. The gospel does set you free, and hopefully we'll get to that a little bit. Here's an example of syncretism in the Bible. The golden calf. Aaron fashioned an, a golden idol, probably reminiscent of one of Egypt's gods, and represented, presented it to the people. He declared, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Well, who brought them out of the land of Egypt? Yahweh did, not, not this guy. <coughs> Yahweh had shown his people that he was the creator God, and he was separate from his creation. Also, he is spirit and not made of flesh and bone. Now, here was Aaron and the Israelites mixing a created being with the creator God. And Aaron was attributing the miracles of Yahweh had done with the metal beast. This was a severe case of blending, again, Egyptian beliefs with biblical truth. So the biblical example here cuts uh, syncretism with the tendency of the reader to mix biblical truth with the ideas from our own worldview. Syncretism uh, happens when we live our 
Christian lives on Sunday and participate in pagan practices once we're away from church. Have you ever heard uh, or seen? What did I just do? I knocked on wood. We were at a, at a camp for uh, Christian children and there was a girl who walked around with a bag of blocks. So she always had wood to knock on if she did something wrong so she wouldn't jinx herself. So that's kind of a mixing the beliefs. So this is a definition of culture. Uh, the other, probably you've heard of the term worldview. Worldview culture is part of that. And this is the simplest definition of culture that I could think of as the physical manifestation of what the group believes. So whatever we believe as a tribal group, we all do the same thing. That, that's the physical manifestation of whatever it is we believe. So that, and that's culture, and that will change. Now you look at all these different people groups around, around the perimeter, they all originated out of Babel. So when they left Babel, they all took certain stories with them. And so there's some commonality around that. <clears throat> but in their different geographic regions, in their different... Uh, temperature things, temperature zones and stuff. They're different uh, looks. You see they all look different now. It takes about four generations for an isolated group to start looking different. And in about ten generations that isolated group all started looking the same. But anyway, so that's uh, the different things that manifest as, as people groups moved around. Worldview. This is who we are deep down. What does your gut tell you? Things that are deep within us. We don't think about them. We don't think about our worldview. We think with them. So people normally have a hard time expressing their worldview, but you as an outsider can come in and you can figure out somebody's worldview. It's hard. like we don't think about them. We think with them. It's what we believe. So your unspoken assumptions are often the forces that shape the identities, values, cultures, and behaviors of most people. Once you learn the culture, you can strive to identify and transform these foundational assumptions with biblical truth, opening the way for a new life and leading to a deep change of whole societies. So what we're talking about here is taking the time to understand your target group. If you're the target group that I'm coming to, I'm, gonna, I'm not part of you. So I've got to come, I've got to learn to understand how you see the world, how you interact, how, why you do what you do. So once I do that, I can start to speak to you so that I know you're understanding what I'm saying. You're seeing the same picture when I'm telling you the story. You know, they say your mind can be deceived. Your heart is an idiot. <laughs> but, your, but your gut doesn't know how to lie. And so that's kind of your worldview. Whatever is there, that's what it is. Doing God's work. So hopefully we're all thinking we're doing God's work. 7.3 billion people in the world. I'm not sure how accurate that is. Christians, 2.8 billion. Protestants, 900 million. They put Catholics in there as Christians. Groups who think they're doing God's work. Remember Saul? Guy from the Bible? He thought he was doing God's work. Catholics, 1.2 billion people. They think they're doing God's work. Islam, 1.8 billion. They think they're doing God's work. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. They think they're doing God's work. I'm not sure what the Jehovah Witnesses, though. I 
think they're working for themselves. But anyway, the devil does not care what religion you are or who you worship, as long as it's not God. Have any of you read the screw tape letters? That's, yeah, it's just confusing. Keep them looking over here. Don't let them look there. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, just not this. So if you use sacred objects, God will remove himself far from your sanctuary. So that's just a thing from the Old Testament. The Bible. The Bible is a new collection of 66 books written over 1,500 years, written over 40 generations, written by more than 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars, etc. Written in different places, the wilderness, dungeons, palaces, on the road. Written at different times, during war, during peace, as a slave. Written during different moods, joy, sorrow, despair. Written on three continents, Africa, Asia, Europe. Written in three different languages. Hebrew, Greek, and Arabic. Finally, the subject include, matter includes hundreds of controversial topics that the biblical author spoke with harmony and continuity in one unfolding story. By far the most unique thing about the Bible is that it claims to be the Word of God. And I think that's kind of as a society where we've kind of broken off from that. We've forgotten it's the Word of God and we don't really know who God is. But there needs to be one truth in this world. It's not one truth for you and one truth for me. I was talking to a colleague uh, two weeks ago, and uh, I told her I was coming here and that I was a Christian. She said, oh, I'm a Christian too. And so we started discussing it a little bit. It wasn't long before she was going this way and I was going this way. And she said, no, 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 it's okay. You know, whatever truth you have is okay. Mine is different. What if my truth says yours is a lie? Yeah, that's, one of them is wrong. That's just the way it is. But if you do study the Bible, and I study the Bible, and your truth says my, my truth is wrong, it's up to you to fix me, or up to me to fix you. Because there can only be one truth. So truth is the same. Truth is something that is the same as the original. The Bible has to be our baseline for truth. It gave us where we come from, how we were created, why the world is in such a mess, why God, what God did for us, sending Jesus to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, and to be reconciled to God. This is all in the Bible, if we look. And this, this little phraseology here, I am the way, what Aaron was talking about this morning, about the exclusivity of Christianity, that's kind of the, how can we be so arrogant to think that. Ming Dynasty, where did that come from? China. China. When did the Ming Dynasty exist? <laughs> long time ago. A long time ago. If I dropped that, what would happen to it? It would break. Is it valuable? Yes. Well, it got bought in a garage sale for about 20 bucks. And then some woman was watching the auction on television and said, Hey, Herb, that looks like my vase. And he looked at that vase, that ugly thing that he wanted to throw out. So she took it to the auction house. The next week, there was another Ming Dynasty vase found, and she made $300,000 on her $20 garage sale vase. Why was it worth $20, and then why was it worth $300,000? The origin, where did it come from? The origin of something gives it its value 
And the value of something gives you its meaning. What did we say it would, would happen if I dropped it? It's irreplaceable. So that's the, the origin and the meaning of that thing. That's why it was so valuable. If you can get people away from the authority of the Word of God, get people to start questioning the Word of God, get them away from the foundation, what happens to the house with no foundation? It collapses. And that's what we're in now. We're in the, the dying portion of Christianity in North America. And because we've lost the understanding of the value of what we have. The Bible was one book that literate Americans in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries could be expected to know well. But if not, yeah, then they would have. In our society, the tallest buildings in town tell everybody where your heart is. In days gone by, when you were riding your horse across the prairie and you saw the town way over there, what did you see? You saw the church steeple. Everywhere you looked, you saw the church steeples. And that's where our hearts were. Nowadays, when you're driving across the prairie and you see the tall buildings, what, do you, what are they? They're banks. Tells you where your heart is. <laughs> anyway, that's who we were and this is who we are now. So this is where society's heart is. Well, what happens to the church? What happened to that steeple? Now in our cities, we can see a strip mall. There's a dollar store, there's a, a sandwich store, there's a restaurant, there's a church, there's a gym, there's a pub. There's a what? There's a church. And I see this all over Toronto. I see them as these strip malls, and they're exactly like that. And there's a church snuggled in there. And maybe you want to be where the people are. And maybe we're supposed to be, but not the way they went. And the church is so blended in, we can't see it. There is no difference. And that's the problem with the church. It's a pro that, that, and this is an indictment on all of us. Is we're not making a difference. We're not being salt. We're not being light. We have failed miserably. And the end result is the tall buildings are the bank and the church is... You can't recognize the church from any of the other parts of society. The state of the Bible. So I just got this sent to me the other day. So I thought I'd plug it in here. So uh, the Bible-centered daily reading, 9%. Bible-engaged weekly reading, 17%. Bible-friendly, 15%. Bible-neutral, 5%. Bible-disengaged was by far the most popular at 54%. Those who rarely interact with Scripture at all. <coughs> we got into this position because somebody didn't take the time to make sure that the people who were in church understood why they were there. And you and I never talked to our neighbor next door to get them to the point where they could go to church. Scripture these days has been devalued. Many of our shared meanings of the past have been discarded. This began around in the 1960s to secularize society. Secularization is the process by which religious ideas, institutions, and interpretations have lost their social significance. So what on earth does that statement have to do with this picture? In the 1950s, a woman walking home at night would have been perfectly safe. She would have been. She wouldn't have thought anything of it. Back then, had anyone tried to do anything to her, what would have happened? 
Every guy on the street would have come running out and I doubt there would be anybody alive when the cops arrived. She was perfectly safe. Nowadays, the same woman walking down the street and something happens, what do we do? We close our windows, we close our curtains. That's how far we've shifted away from who we used to be in, in North America. Here's an author, Malcolm Muggeridge, Self-Destruction of 20th Century West, uh, Western Man. It has become abundantly clear in the second half of the 20th century that Western man has decided to abolish himself. Having wearied of the struggle to be himself, he has created his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own impotency out of his own erotic erotomania, his own vulnerability out of his own strength, himself blowing the trumpet that brings down the walls of his own city tumbling down until at last having educated himself into imbecility and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he kneels, keels over a weary, battered old brontosaurus and becomes extinct. And if you look at some of the codes, the rules and the standards and the laws today, that's stupefaction and imbecility where we're going. Some of the things, I mean, there are parents who are not allowed to call their daughter a girl because she wants to be a boy, even in private. It's illegal. Every civilization has tied together in the final source of authority that gives meaning and ultimate intellectual, moral, and social justification to its culture. So there's something. What is that? Western civilization has had at least five different courses of cultural authority. Rome, the Pope, the Bible, human reason, and the current where we are now individualistic nihilism. Nihilism is like, some people with nihilism think reality doesn't even exist. God doesn't exist. There is no meaning to life. Uh, so that's kind of where our society is and going to. So I, I found this sign somewhere. <laughs> I didn't mean it for here, but there's, I just thought I had to put it in. So everyone wants an instant solution. They want fast food salvation. Many of our churches are populated by emotion-driven adherents. The church is a nice, safe place where people are nice and accept me. The love of the church can be very attractive. We teach people how to look like Christians. And so that was why I put that here. We have rules. Be kind, be helpful, be cooperative. So that's an external pressure we're trying to put on them to shape them how to be some way. But that's not internal. It's not coming from the inside. So nothing against your signs. They're wonderful signs. Just <laughs> point of fact here. So when persecution arises, the faith that these churchgoers had collapses. It's because they had no roots. And, and that's, I, I'm, I, I'm not from your area, so I'm indicting you guys, and I have no business to. I'm just talking about my area, my people, what I know, is that we never take time to find out where are you when you come to our church? I've been to several different churches, and there was only one church where the pastor came up to me after, like I thought I was in trouble. He came bombing over there, a great big man, and he grilled me to know where I was. Oh, brother, glad you're here, once we were done. But that's only ever happened once, and it should happen all the time. We should never have somebody in our, in our pews for two or three years without understanding where are they? Because God knows you will never get saved if you go to church on Sunday and do nothing else. 
That's not the job of the church. That's your job, that's my job, in our home, in our living room with our neighbor. Once they're saved, then they have cause to come to church. That's when you bring them. But we don't do that. We drag our neighbor to church and we throw them at the pastor. Okay, I've done my job, it's all yours. So we're all kind of guilty. Animism is the religious belief that objects, places, and creatures all possess a distinct spiritual essence. So animism and spirituality, when we get into them, you'll, you'll see how I kind of look at things. This is Wikipedia's idea of it. <coughs> Animists perceive all things, animals, plants, rocks, rivers, weather systems, human handiwork, and perhaps even words as animated and alive. Strictly theologically speaking, animism, as far as I can tell, there's no case of inanimate objects being indwelt in the scripture. The holy of holies, the fire in the burning bush, we're talking about what? God. Cloud by day, fire by night, were symbols of God's presence. So what's this? The Ark of the Covenant. And what happened in... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, what did you say? If you touch it, you're going to die? So I heard that around here. Yes. I'm not going to touch it, just, but that's not why. <laughs> but God symbolically lived above to, when he was living with his people Israel. He sat above the, the Ark of the Testimony there. He didn't live in it. He wasn't, didn't, have, didn't inhabit that. So that's what that's doing there. Uh, and the reason I brought that in and this guy here, is more, just when we teach, when you take the time, when, when, we, when we, we're teaching somebody, instead of trying to tell you what the Ark of the Covenant is, we show it to you. When I stand up here and talk to you, or Aaron comes up and preaches, lovely message, but if you're preaching, and you're listening, by the time you got to the door, the best you can recall is 5%, statistically. Now, when I come up here and I teach you and I talk to you about the Ark of the Covenant and you go out that door, you're between 75 and 80% retention. So it's a good way to teach, to, to show people what you're talking about. So you, and that's why I use PowerPoint a lot. There's pictures and people keep, a, keep awake and it keeps you going. Anyway, so he didn't indwell the Ark of the Covenant. He lived above it. The materials, the material things were... Biblical visual aids, not locations in which to live, as God does not dwell in houses made of hands, and then you have those two verses that, that's exactly what they say. Idols are spoke of as being chunks of wood or made of metal, but the idea of a spirit taking up residence in either an idol or a house is foreign to scripture. Indwelling is limited to humans, with a few exceptions. The herd of pigs, remember? The herd of pigs and maybe a donkey. Not sure, singing, dancing, and... Uh, mourning are not wrong in mere expressions of joy and sorrow. So there's <laughs> different ways of looking at different things. Strictly cultural now, animism, among tribal groups in Africa, Asia, Oceania, Central, South and North America, it is universally believed by pagans that trees, streams, rooms, buildings, musical instruments, altars, eating instruments, certain animals and so forth can be and are indwelt by spirits. So by pagan, we're saying no, no Bible influence, just, just pagan. It's uh, universally believed that certain dances, songs, use of musical instruments, and forms of mourning can bring up the spirits for the purpose of causing harm, avoiding harm, or bringing good luck. So you want somebody who can appease the spirits 
with uh, like your medicine men and stuff like that. <coughs> Problems occur when the theological meets the cultural. What is one to do? The Bible brings the two points together in a practical level leading to the following actions. Number one, believers. So these new believers coming out of that culture had done all of these pagan rituals and stuff, so they, they will all react differently. There's a couple of examples here. They, this believing group forbade any part of knowledge of the pagan practice. For example, the tribe in Papua New Guinea. Are you guys familiar with this video? called Itau. How many of you have seen this? Okay, if you haven't seen it, it's online. Itau. And look it up. It's well worth the time. So this is what we're describing here. So the New Guinea, they used this mask culturally to control their women. Once they became believers, the Mok people burnt the mask. To them, it was an object of horror. They brought, it brought back terrible memories and a lot of shame. Then they did not... Uh, they did not want to have it around, so they burnt it. They just wanted it totally removed from their sight. So that's one reaction. Other believers in a different part of uh, Indonesia here in Papua New Guinea, a couple of groups here, they cut off all association with pre previous pagan rites, usually calling it just a, one big lie. Once they understood the, the two in Christ in Adam and understanding that everything in Adam was just a lie that they were doing, and uh, so they understood that, for example, animistic drums... And flutes, both were originally said to be possessed by demons. So it was unbelievers, it was them and their practices when they were saying that. But when the people came to know the Lord, they considered them empty and inanimate with no power whatsoever. The fact that they were said to have been indwelt was considered a lie of the devil. In these two instances, they gave the instruments away to missionaries. They could have burnt them, but instead of burning them, they gave them away. Either way, they just didn't want them around anymore. <coughs> So who's this? The prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. When your electronics go wrong, who's controlling it? This guy. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So what I was trying to demonstrate here was all the different people groups of the world Born in which kingdom? Kingdom of darkness. So he's their God, God of this world. So here is Satan tempting Jesus. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. The kingdoms of the world, kingdoms of the world are all the people, the people groups of the world. That's what they're talking about there. All this will I give you. Jesus didn't say, what are you talking about? They're all mine. No, he said, all this will I give you if you bow down and worship me. So what the devil was saying, Jesus, you came for all these people. This is what you came for. I'll give them to you. Easy, just do this. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Did he use magic? Did he use anything? What did he use? The word of God. The word of God, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. <coughs> every culture, every form was created by fallen man. Remember, everybody was born here. Every culture in the world, including the native culture that, that's here, 
It was created by fallen man. So everything that we put in our culture, remember we have this desire and need to worship something, so we would create something. But the gods we created, we created like ourselves, because that's all we know. And so we, we made them like us. Remember the 1960s, maybe 70s, something called Jesus Christ Superstar? Remember that? It was called the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, and we in Christendom swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. The whole thing behind that premise was to, to humanize Jesus. You're a man, he's just a man, he's just like any other man. The whole thing, Jesus, Judas was the hero. Judas knew Jesus uh, was deluded and thought he was God, and so Jesus, Judas was trying to make them realize. And so that's what we do, is we want to build things out of here because we don't understand God, we don't understand light, and so we can only formulate things out of our own minds, and so every culture that was formed was created by fallen man. What does fallen man like? Does fallen man like the light? Does it seek God? It loves the darkness, it likes sin. Sin is fun for a season, it's wonderful. This is where we are. And there isn't much, if anything, in a culture created by fallen man. Who's our God? Right here. Why are we going to do anything that worships this guy? This is who we're... This is who we are. And so when you talk about syncretism, when you talk about taking our culture and introducing it over here, it seems foreign. But, there's a but here. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Spiritual warfare. This is, a, again, a little bit of animism is probably maybe a touchy issue for some. Spiritual warfare, again, will be a little bit of a touchy issue for some, but hopefully it's the Bible speaking, and uh, you can look into it. We believe that the New Testament epistles were revealed to provide instruction on how Christians are to live during this current age. Therefore, the epistles instruct believers <coughs> in only those things that they have been specifically called upon and equipped by God to do. Therefore, nowhere in the epistles does one find commands or examples relating to the exercising, binding, or rebuking of demons. One of the reasons many Christians fall into the trap of incorrectly thinking on issues of our sin nature, the actions of Satan or demons, etc., is that too many people underestimate how incredibly evil their sin nature is. They forget or don't know we were born in sin and in Satan's darkness of domain. So we have three enemies in the world. Who are they? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Yeah. So the world and the devil are external. What's that third one? That's internal. And that's, that's our sin nature. So even though we get saved... We're part of the family of God. We're children of God. What's still there? That's in nature. Yesterday, we didn't have a choice. All we could do is sin. Now as Christians, we have a choice. Can we still sin? Yes. Absolutely. But we don't have to. That's the difference. Yesterday, we didn't have a choice. Today, we, we do. Yesterday, when we were not part of the family of God, sin was our master. Sin was the king. When the king tells you to do something, what do you do? You do it. You do it. You don't question. You do it. You don't have a choice. 
And now that we're children of God, we have a new king. That one's gone. But we, we can still do that if we want, but we have a choice now. So that's the difference. Jesus' claim to be Messiah had been certified through his many signs, wonders, and miracles, which included his power over Satan and demons. Matthew 10, Jesus gathered his disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out so they could go throughout Israel announcing that the king was here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So where were the disciples supposed to go? Throughout Israel. Israel, just to the Jews, no place else. Go tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The twelve disciples of Jesus became involved in casting out demons when Jesus sent them out to declare to their fellow Israelites that the kingdom of God was at hand. Mark seems to indicate that this commissioning occurred twice. Clearly the reason Jesus delegated his power and authority over the demonic realm to his disciples was an authentication sign to their fellow countrymen that their rabbi was indeed the Messiah. This was power and authority given only to the twelve disciples, and lest there be any misunderstanding who they were, they were named. So there's all their names <coughs> in uh, Matthew 10, verses 2 to 4. And he instructed them as you go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So we have a lot of deliverance ministries nowadays where people are casting out demons. That happens uh, quite a lot. Does anybody raise the dead? You're supposed to be able to do both. Part of the deal. Just like the ministry of Christ, so the ministry of the twelve disciples in relation to casting out demons was a sign pointing to the coming of the messianic kingdom. So it, it was the, the Messiah is here, let's bring in the messianic kingdom now. But Israel rejected their king, rejected that, and so Jesus put off the Messianic kingdom till later. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 to 21. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things in which God has spoken of by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. What he's talking about is in his first coming when he was in Israel everything he did, all the miracles, all the healing, controlling the weather, all of that stuff was just a precursor or a... Uh, when you go to a movie, you see a trailer of the next movie, right? You see the good parts of that movie, just a little bit. And that's what Jesus' ministry on earth and his first coming was. Before the times of refreshing may come. So that's later, uh, after our, our time, after our church age, when he comes. Satan appeared and tempted Jesus three times. When he was tempted, Jesus countered with scripture. Jesus' response to the attack of Satan serves as a prototype of how the believer is to handle such attacks. First, Christ recognized the deceptive approach. So Satan, because he knew the scripture and was able to counter with God's way of thinking. Second, the nature of the counter was not mystical. Third, the power that allowed Jesus to defeat the temptation was the truth inherent in Scripture, not <coughs> metaphysical power or the use of the Holy Spirit. Jesus handled these temptations in his humanity as a pattern for us. Believers are never authorized to engage Satan or demons. So we respond with the Word of God. 
The problem with that is we need to understand and know the Word of God so we can recognize it and respond with it. The practice of binding Satan and or demons and evil spirits is not only something that Christians don't do during public and private deliverance sessions, but also is often a personal activity exercised regularly by an increasing number of Christians. I went to a, a meeting, I was invited to a meeting and I went and it was this kind of thing and and the guy was saying, oh yeah, my daughter here, she's seven years old and she casts out demons left, right and center all day. Some people pray that an upcoming event would be protected from the influence of demonic powers by binding the demons from having influence in relation to that event. Acts 17 verse 26, God made from one man, so we were talking about Adam and Eve when they fell, one man was how many people did God create from the dust of the earth? One. one. Where did the other one come from? Adam's rib. Why did God only create one man? Why didn't he create her out of the dust of the ground too? What's that? I'm probably glad I didn't hear that. One man was created, only one. Woman was taken out of that man, together they reformed the whole. But one man was created so that one man could save everybody. So we only needed one savior. If Eve was created from the dust of the ground, we'd have needed two saviors. But we got one, and, and one with infinite grace to cover the finite sins we could ever make by the infinite grace of God. So we all came from that. After the flood in the past, God let nations go their own way. So he allowed them to walk their own way. God allowed man to choose how he wanted to live. And most people went away from God. In North America, I grew up in a Roman Catholic uh, Métis culture in northern Alberta. It was very syncretistic. I got saved in 1992. Previous to that, in the late 80s, Someone put a hex on my family, apparently. I live in Toronto. They live in Western Canada, so I'm not in that close contact. I go back for weddings and funerals. That's about it. But when I was back there, somebody gave me something called a protection pouch. If you go on Google, you can buy. This is a protection pouch set you can buy. There's a whole bunch of things for sale. But for me, it was given to me as a protection from the hex or curse that somebody put on our family. So I, okay, so I took it. I didn't know any better. I wasn't Christian at the time. Sure. So I put it in my wallet. Forgot about it. And then a couple years after I got saved, no, I don't spend money because I use credit cards, so I don't go in my wallet. <laughs> but anyway, a couple years later, I, oh, John, look. <laughs> So I had, this, I had this little protection pouch still in my wallet. And that was a perfect picture of syncretism. Here I was relying on this for protection. Well, I never thought about it. My family certainly did anyway. But by association, I had it. I took it. I was relying on that for protection from, instead of relying on God. And so we disposed of it. But that's, you know, as simple as it happens. We had all kinds of superstitions at night when we'd see the northern lights. The northern lights were... were uh, the souls of dead people, spirits, and they were okay. But if somebody whistled, 
they were going to come down. And so we used to run terrified into the house. That kind of stuff. If, uh, if you were walking by a graveyard, you had to pray the whole time. All the way till you were past the graveyard. If there was a storm coming, if you stuck a knife in the ground, that would chase the storm away. I don't know if it ever worked. But we had to wash a lot of knives. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of different things that, that you live with. And being Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't tell you, don't do that anymore. They just let you, they syncretize it in. They just absorb it all in. <coughs> so North American Native beliefs. There's not a whole bunch of beliefs that are, in fact, I'm not sure there are any that are coast to coast to coast. Same everywhere with Native people. So all Native... All Native North American uh, people possess religious beliefs and practices through which they express both their immediate and their ultimate concerns as individuals and as societies, all tribes believing in the life of the spirit after death of the body and in a multitude of ghosts, gods, and other anthropomorphic spiritual personalities with intelligence, emotion, and freedom of will to intervene in human affairs. And so that's why you want to appease these guys Further, they believe in an impersonal, supernatural power shared by spiritual personalities, human beings, and the entities of the natural world. The supernatural contacts every aspect of native life. The religiousness is an attempt to understand, enter into a relation with, appease, revere, and if possible, manipulate these spirits in order to promote a better life, more health. Every Native American community had... It's medicine men and women, shaman or priests. These were persons who interceded with the supernatural on behalf of others. When I was young up there, we never wanted to talk about it. So nowadays you have people, white people, Caucasian people, non-native people, who hold all of these kinds of ceremonies and stuff. As a native person, from how I understood our contacts with native spirituality, the spirit, the spirit world, we were afraid of it and never wanted to know about it. We never talked about it. And there were stuff that white people were there, we would never tell them. But yet you get white people that go there for a week and they become experts. In. <laughs> this is a, uh, maybe a man from here, I'm not sure. Rather than going to church, I, I attend a sweat lodge. Rather than accepting bread and toast from the holy priest, the smoke of ceremony pipes to come into communion with the great spirit, and rather than kneeling... With my hands placed together in prayer, I let sweetgrass be feathered over my entire being for spiritual cleansing and allow the smoke to carry my prayers into the heavens. I am Micmac and this is how we pray. I don't know, this is the quote I got. I thought it would be useful for you guys. It's local, I think. The Bible affirms the existence of spirits, demons, and angels that secularized the physical universe, however, by teaching that human beings, not spirits, were meant to rule over nature. So that's slightly different, sharp contrast to native spirituality where spirits control everything in every aspect of our lives. So this was something different. Learn to live out your faith as you biblically evaluate your heritage, your culture. Jesus Christ calls us to be set apart. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. But what does that mean for Native Americans? Now we want to personalize that, we internalize that. That's our issue, that's our problem. But for 2,000 years, it has been happening to every culture everywhere in the world. The Bible is now coming to us. We have to learn. We understand. We will change. One thing when we teach, we don't care who we teach and we don't care what you would believe. We're just witnesses. We try to witness to you what we know about God. And then once you come to understand that, once G 
Jesus Christ is your Savior and you accept that free gift and you have that freedom, you've stepped from darkness to light, anything that doesn't conform to God, you will drop. Because you're the expert on what it is you're doing. I don't, I'm not an expert on your culture, you are. And so for me to tell you what's right and what's wrong and what you can keep, what you can't keep, that's not my place. My place is to give you the gospel message in a way that makes sense to you and then the rest is between you and him. So I'm just going to go quickly through some uh, traditional native beliefs, spiritism. So a system of rituals supported by sets of values, beliefs, and worldview which mobilize supernatural power for the purpose of achieving or preventing transformation of state. So they, they want to manipulate the spirits. Relativism. So here, basically all he's saying is there's your truth, my truth, I don't have the right to tell you what your truth needs to be, that it's all relative. The last line, nobody has the right to challenge the authenticity of another's spiritual experiences. Um, just for the sake of time, going to just read you the native beliefs, the biblical truth sides, or the reciprocating side of that I'll leave out. So the traditional Indian beliefs, the Bible is a book written by men, that's just not the native people who believe that anymore. God is the great spirit and has many spirit helpers. Jesus Christ was a human being like any other man. So they got Jesus Christ Superstar too. The, Indian, uh, the Indian's church is the sacred places in nature. And so to them hills, trees, mountain streams, those have spirits in them. So they do their offerings and stuff there. Traditional Indian prayers used as mediators. Uh, the Creator, Spirits, Feathers, and Smoke. The Creation, Feathers, Spirits, and Smoke. Traditional Indian culture is anthropomorphic. It's man-centered. Indian traditional teaching, man is basically good. A lot of people, I think that's where they start that. They believe, I know my uh, newly adopted daughter, by the way, she's, uh, if you can remember her, her name is Afifa. She could use prayer. She's now, uh, her father is a teacher in the mosque. And she is seeing him and they're going through, they're comparing the Quran and the Bible. So she's trying to, she's working on her father, so if you can pray for her that would be appreciated. Traditional beliefs are based on mystical and magical teachings. Uh, traditional beliefs teach man is equal with animals, birds, and all of nature, because we're all connected, it's the continuity of being, that's the one thing that's different between Christianity and all the other religions, we have a creator-creature distinctive. God is not part of his creation. He is separate from his creation. Here, it's an extension of. Uh, be generous, give gifts, be kind and good to others, and you will go to heaven. Does that sound familiar to you guys? The more good you do? Faith in the medicine man can free you from curses and evil. The covering of smoke or wood ashes will bring healing, cleansing, and blessing. The foundation of traditional Indian beliefs are legends and stories. The Indian worldview is to live in harmony with nature. The way to God is through tobacco, uh, peyote, sun, mountains, etc. So nature. Blood sacrifices are made of animals and birds to cleanse from all evil. See, we've got this, no matter what, no matter who you're worshipping, you've got this guilt, this feeling of guilt and evil. And we try and try and try to get rid of it. So you, you use drugs and alcohol nowadays. 
So there they were sacrificing animals. The spirits come to Indian people during fasting, dancing, and ceremonies. The evil spirits have power to bring sickness, curses, and death. The traditional Indian's power is in medicine, fetishes, and sacred objects. Good works will help you on your journey to the next world. So there's just a... It's not universal to them all, but it's the way it is here. We are trying to depict God. Eternal past, eternal future. The creator creature distinctive. God is outside of his creation, outside of time. And this is a picture, a snapshot of the Bible story from... From in the beginning, God, the six 24-hour days of creation. Here we have man. All of man was saved when they were living and walking and talking with God. They were perfect. And then that... Somebody took that apple or whatever, and the full. At that point, God separated himself from man, and everybody in the world was lost. Part of Satan's kingdom, so that's the blackness in there. From that point on, we had the mixture of good and evil. That oscillation will go forever. We have, between the years, uh, from the fall to the flood, about, about 2,000 years, roughly. And then the flood happened, so what happened to all the lost people? They got washed away, and the only people who came into the world, the new world, how many of them? Eight, eight people. They were all saved. And then we have uh, Babel, where we all came out of. We have the Table of Nations, that's where, where we all came from. Uh, this line over here, this one second from the bottom, that's the North American Native line. Who knows? <laughs> uh, Abraham got called. Abraham is actually a, a, a clock. Jews are clocks, because we know when the first Jew was. So Adam and Eve, were they Jews? No, they were Gentiles. There were no Jews then. Abraham was the first Jew. And then we come through, we have uh, the Moses and the law here. We have Jesus coming. Then we have Jesus going back in the beginning of the church age, after Israel rejected him. And then we have Christian sects and cults, and where we are today, according to the map, we're going to have something called the rapture of the church, so all the believers are gone. The only people left on earth are lost people to go into what will be called the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, it's called the second coming of Christ, which will be the messianic age. Remember, they were talking about the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. They rejected him. And so this whole time period is the pre-Messianic age, because he's not here yet. When Jesus comes, that's called the Messianic age. There'll be a thousand years of uh, rain. Here it says that the angels will go through and they'll collect the, the wheat and the, the tares, and the tares get thrown out. Everybody coming into this new kingdom are saved, but still with the human nature. A thousand year millennial reign. Uh, Satan is bound for a thousand years. He's going to be loose for a while, one last big fight. God wins, yay. Uh, then the forever separation of good and evil in the uh, new, new universe, new Jerusalem. So that's what I have a copy for you guys if you want it before you leave. So here's a question. What must I do to go to hell? You've got to be born. You've got to live. You've got to die. You get there. Amen. Here's why do people kill themselves? Common features are an overwhelming feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, and of being alone and no one to turn to, feelings of not being loved. Well, personally, I can identify with all of those things, but I never got to that point. 
Now, restless spirits plagued many of them, and much has been written about their hunger for culture, identity, and future. And this is what Native people, we need an identity. If you don't have an identity, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know where you come from, very, very soon there's no reason to live. And that's where society is uh, right now. If the foundations be destroyed, I'm 15 seconds over an hour, so am I, can I, I'm almost done. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And what they're talking about is how we present that message to the Bible. Not just to the people we, we're going to uh, take the message to out there, but everybody and people in the church. We've lost that foundation. That's why our churches are in the condition they're in. Genesis 1-11 to provide the foundations for the rest of the biblical revelation because it tells you the Judeo-Christian story. If you don't know where you came from and why you're here, then you, it doesn't matter. Origin stories are absolutely necessary for man to be given a meaning to life. And that's why I said everybody, all those cultures were created over here, but those cultures are created out of man's mind. So everything, uh, clothing, marriage, death, sin, why did Jesus have to come? Why is he called the last Adam? <laughs> the need for new heaven and new earth. What is man? Why does man have to work? What's the curse of man? All of that stuff comes out of Genesis 1 to 11. If you don't have that, it doesn't explain. There's no reasons for what we're living and why we are. And that's why our churches are where they are now. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. So Paul sets two things over against each other, according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary, or the principles of this world. This world, this is Satan's world. So the traditions of men, and that's what we do. We, we give up the word of God for relationships, and we can't do that to Billy. He's been here for 10 years. That's that. We let relationships rule over the word of God and the things of this world. We fall in love with the things of this world. What does it say? Enmity, you're going to be, if you... Love the things of this world. According, rather than according to Christ, Paul is contrasting earth, the world around us, against Christ. He means, you have two totally different paths or worldview. You can build on one basis or the other. Paul is arguing for our basis, starting point, that being the creator-creature distinctive. This is fundamental to understanding who Jesus is. You cannot properly understand who Jesus is without first understanding the creator-creature distinctive of the Old Testament. So if you don't understand the Old Testament, it's hard to start. Everybody says... Teach the old, the New Testament. Teach Jesus. Jesus is love. Well, here we go. Just into a quick little summation for a wrap up. Here, key elements of communication, language. So, not understanding the target group's language. So, if I was coming to you and I didn't understand your language, I would have to learn your language first. But missionaries never did that. They came in and they found a common language. We all speak Spanish. Okay, so we teach you in Spanish, but you only understand smatterings of the message and then you put it together you end up syncretizing the message the culture so we understand your language then I have to learn your culture once I understand your culture then we can start talking about the message but I have to understand your worldview so that when I communicate to you that it's 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 accurate communication so we want to set the adequate foundations for the new concept when you were talking about adequate foundations we're not talking about a makeover you get somebody to come and redo your house. They don't come and change your drapes and change the wallpaper. Remember, your culture, your religion was made where? In Satan's kingdom. So when you're putting in the new concepts and the new foundations, the, the word of God, you come and you destroy the house. Because you have to start again. 
put the new foundations in and you build. And we don't do that. We just want to shuffle the furniture a little bit and think we're done. God, He is supreme and sovereign. He knows everything. He's everywhere present at all times. He's the only author in the world who's there every time you open the book. Nobody else is, but He is. Holy and righteous, He demands death for sin, and He never changes. Man, many people believe in order to make themselves acceptable to God, they need to go to church, they need to get baptized, they need to do good works, the list goes on and on and on. Are those ever going to get us there? No, one way to God. That's what's left there. Satan, Satan is the deceiver. <coughs> so Satan comes uh, as a minister of light. So he comes and tells you certain things, he leads you down this wrong path. As long as you're worshipping anything, he doesn't care, just not God and Jesus Christ, the only thing you need. You know when you're at the bottom of the barrel and you have nothing left but Jesus? It's when you realize Jesus is all you need. But to get broken down, what did you say, Grant? Crack, crack pot or something? Yesterday. <laughs> For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross, he lived a perfect life, he was perfect, he was able to pay for our finite amount of sins with God's infinite amount of grace. And that allowed us to path back and transferred us back into the kingdom of the Son He loves out of the kingdom of darkness. So that there is available for us. This is a good picture I saw. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. And this is where we are. The best lies are the ones with what? The most truth in them. The best lies are the ones with the most truth in them. Our self-worth is not to come from what we have or what we don't have. It is to come from being ambassadors, from being princes and princesses of the king. It is to bring honor and glory to our Father. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, talking to his disciples after the crucifixion and the resurrection, so he tells them, he says, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus explained to them all the things in the Old Testament about himself. So he started with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all through, told them about himself. And what did it say? What happened to them when they recognized Jesus? It says their eyes were opened, and then they went to bed. No. No, what did they do? They went back to Jerusalem that night, so excited. When I got saved, I went out the door, a lost man. When I came in, I got saved. I had come in the door. Joan came and she looked at me and she said, what happened to you? I never said anything. She just said, what happened to you? And life hasn't been the same since. The, ba the Bible is transcultural. It was meant for all peoples of the world. And so there you go, it's transcultural. You don't have to teach against the culture. With chronological teaching, you don't have to argue people into believing. Chronological teaching gives you the facts clearly because it starts within the beginning and it builds on previous information. Grade school goes like that. Grade 1, grade 2, grade 3. You don't start a kid in grade 9. You start them from the beginning and go. People don't read the Bible front to back. They, they open it all over the place. It's hard to figure out what it says. And here's the thing. 
Over 40 years ago, Billy Graham, I don't agree with everything Billy Graham said, but this one I do. The greatest moments of Native history may be ahead of us if the great spiritual awakening should take place. The Native American has been a sleeping giant. He's awakening. The original American could become the evangelist who will help win America for Christ. Remember these forgotten people. And just in closing, so what are we picturing here? The great multitude in white robes. After I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every, what? Read this with me. Nation, tribe, people, and language. So there's native people, there's black people, there's Mexican people, there's German people, there's... How were they dressed? All in white. All in white. Who's who? Nobody cares. What are you looking at? God. Where are your eyes? God. You don't compare yourself. All the stuff that we're protective of, this culture, this is me, this is us. Oh, I forgot about him. Look at that. What's this? What's that representative of? How many of these? Ten? Ten what? Ten commandments. Ah, see? But if not. Ten commandments. And what's the point of the Ten Commandments? If you break... Yeah, so which one do you want to break? You want to worship other gods? You want to disrespect your parents? You want to think badly of somebody? And so that's when, when we're teaching, this is the kind of stuff we use so that we, we can... When you say you break one, you break them all. Actually, when I'm teaching, I cut it. And almost invariably, you'll get... <gasps> somebody. And then John has to fix it. <laughs> but in the end, like I said, you know, people are protective of their culture. But it's because they don't understand who they are. They don't understand their position. And once you become a, a child of God, you know our daughter, the first daughter we adopted, her father's Jamaican, her mother's Indian. She's got all black features. Our second daughter, the FIFA that we were talking about, she's Pakistani. Our, our family's just been raised like that. And for me, I don't have a culture. This is, this is what I care about. I don't see I don't see other things and so it doesn't bother me but I don't try to put that on other people because people people in their walk are between them and God so I apologize I took 10 minutes and 42 seconds longer than I was alive so thank you for bearing with me praise God this has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center Visit our website at arrowheadnbc.com for more information. Look for a new episode next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts.